Hello, beautiful. I'm your host and mindset coach, Samantha Roberto, and I want to thank you for joining this conversation. We are a space of women empowering women, and each week we feature an empowered woman's vulnerable story because we believe it's important to have these conversations so that we can learn and grow from one another. So go subscribe to get your weekly dose of inspiration. You guys, I am honestly so, so, so excited for this week's episode. Our guest is unbelievable. I had learned so much from our conversation, and I'm just really, really, really excited to share it with you. But before we jump into it, I want to give you a little bit of an update because for those of you guys that have stuck around the past couple months, you know that on this past Sunday, a big thing was happening in my life, or it was supposed to happen. My partner and I, Simon Sadie, we are separated by a border. He is in the States. I'm in Canada. He is taking the leap of faith and going to try to come make it into Canada this past Sunday. But unfortunately, he had to change his flight to Thursday. So for those of you guys listening in today, pray for us. Send us your love. He is probably currently in the air and our future is essentially in the hands of the border person when he lands here in Canada. So there's two ways it's going to go. Either one, he comes through and they let him in. That's like ideal situation, fingers crossed. Or they're basically going to say, you're American, you're not allowed in Canada, you got to fly out and you've got to go somewhere. So if it is option B, he is going to have to make a decision in the moment, find somewhere to go. We've got a few different destinations in the back of our minds. But make the call there, fly there, and in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have to leave my hometown and I'm going to go meet up with him. So essentially, like it is, it feels like Christmas. It feels like a lottery almost. I was talking to a friend and I'm like, he's literally taking a flight of faith. He's given up his apartment back in L.A., He's put everything in storage. We are just surrendering to the universe on this one. And to be honest, I secretly love it as anxious and like nerve wracking as it is. I just love the idea of complete surrender and complete faith, knowing that whatever way it works out, it's going to work out exactly as it's supposed to. And knowing that we're supported by the universe in what we're doing. And this is something that I just want to pass on to you guys, whatever it is you're going through, as scary as it is, especially when you have those like scary moments where you take that leap of faith, whether it's leaving a job, whether it's, you know, being open to start a new relationship, whether it's doing something that is different and out of your comfort zone, those leaps of faith that you take, they always work out in the end. So fingers crossed for us. I'm excited to give you guys an update next week to let you know what happens and know how it goes or how it went. And if you want to, you know, sort of real time on our adventure, definitely go find us on Instagram. My handle is at Samantha Roberto and he is at Simon Binsady and you will have the moment to moment updates there. And if you want just one last thing I'll throw in about three episodes ago, we recorded an episode together. It is all about relationships and It's amazing. Thus far, it was probably one of my favorite episodes because I was able to share a little bit behind the scenes of my personal life, which was pretty fun. And I got so much good feedback on it. So definitely go check that out. And speaking of a relationship, this is the perfect segue into this week's episode. You guys, like I said, it is one of my favorite 
episodes thus far, our guest completely, completely, completely blew me away. This woman is such a wealth of knowledge. And today we're getting into a new idea. It's something that I literally had no clue about before we dove in it with her. And it is all about attachment theory. So Thais Gibson is an author, a speaker, and the co-creator of the Personal Development School. She is extremely passionate about personal growth, the subconscious mind, and connecting with others. Honestly, like I was just saying, our conversation completely blew me away. She has 13 different certifications and is just constantly learning. You can tell she really, really, really knows her stuff. And prior to our conversation, I didn't know much about attachment theory. And by the end of it, I was just like, okay, I need to dive deep into this. This is blowing me away. It is an incredible, incredible, incredible framework. So I know you guys are going to love this week's episode. And I want you first listen to the episode. And then I'm going to include a link in the show notes for a amazing attachment theory quiz that you guys can go and do right away. You can do it either right now or right after listening to the episode to find out your attachment style type. So definitely go do that quiz. It's going to be linked in the show notes. And then on top of that, once you know your attachment style, we are actually offering you guys an exclusive 25% discount for any of the personal development school courses. Listen to the episode. Once you figure out exactly which style you are, you're going to know which course is going to best serve you. And you're going to get as a gift using the promo code Samantha25. You're going to get a 25% discount on learning more and going deeper into your attachment style. So super excited to share this with you. I'm even more excited about getting deeper into this idea and this concept because I really know it's going to serve so many of you. So on that note, let's get to it. Anyways, my dear, I am so grateful to be here with you, to have you on the platform, to be able to get to know a little bit more about you, because you're really up to a lot. You've got a lot of really cool things on the go. Yes, yes, I do. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You're obviously very passionate about personal development. You've launched the Personal Development School. And the one thing that I find, like for anybody who is, and myself included, who's that passionate about personal development It normally is because there's a catalyst or something happens in life that gets you to follow that path and you realize just, oh my gosh, the impact that it has on you that you want to share it with other people. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so for me, this whole process really started because I started off struggling with addiction at about 14 years of age. So I was an athlete. I went to play like division one soccer and got a scholarship to the U S and all these different things. I'm located in Toronto, Canada. And so from um, a bunch of knee injuries and, and sort of challenges I had, I actually got addicted to painkillers. Mm. Um, and for a, a very long time, like, you know, the first time I went through my first set of withdrawals, um, and I didn't even know what was happening to me. I thought I had some crazy flu and I was like losing my mind or something because I was so young and didn't have any like reference point for this. And what ended up happening is sort of that set me early on in my journey to just want to get help, like want to get better, want to try different things. So I did inpatient rehab, outpatient 
inpatient rehab, like therapy, so many different things and things were not working for me. And around the age of 20 years old, I met somebody who taught me about the subconscious mind. He was like a classmate in one of my classes. I was still like going to school and trying to do life and sort of like high functioning addict, but you know, daily use sort of thing going on. And when I learned about the subconscious mind, it really like expressed to me or showed to me what what I was experiencing as like the war within myself. It was Mm -hmm. like my conscious mind going, why are you doing this? I want to stop. This is the last time. This is the last time. And my subconscious mind having like a totally different set of motives. And so for me, like, because that puts so many answers into place, I just became really passionate about studying the subconscious mind. So I ended up going back through school, doing a master's degree in transpersonal psychology, and then doing 13 different certifications in like CBT, NLP, hypnosis, like a lot of things related to the subconscious as well, somatic experiencing a tremendous amount of stuff. And I actually didn't think I was going to be like starting a practice or anything for a while. I wanted to keep learning, but I started doing a couple workshops just because I love to share and chat and, and all these different things. And my practice really took off. And from there, just, it was like, okay, I have this huge wait list for a year and I wasn't expecting any of these things. And I had a good friend of mine who's my business partner at the personal development school in Giovanni. And he said, you know, you should be scaling this. Like you should be putting this out there as information. So everybody has access to it instead of always like trading one-to-one time. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up doing that. I had my practice for about seven years first. And then we launched the school last October and we have just over 2000 students and growing really quickly. And, and it's been a very exciting time. And it's just such a blessing for me because I get to share things that, like you said, I'm just so passionate about and like really, really hit home for me. And I think I definitely have a special place of empathy for people because I know what it's like to sort of be on both sides of the equation and go through stuff and, and come out on the other side. And so very determined to like serve people and show up for them through those sorts of experiences as well. What a beautiful journey. I just want to honor you for following that path because at the end of the day, it's like being that bridge to help one person. It's like, you don't know the ripple effect that it really has. So it goes to even say the 2000 people in your school, but then you think of their families and their friends and the way that it kind of goes. I just, I really honor you for that. And what a gift to be at 20 years old, learned about the subconscious mind. Oh my gosh. Like I literally am so grateful every day. Sometimes I sit in my bed because, you know, like I had moments in time where it's like looking for like dimes and nickels on the floor to buy drugs. And I just, I really lived like a tough, serious chapter. And just sometimes I sit and I'm like so lucky now I'm a beautiful home and partner and just like business and, and it's almost too good to be true. Sometimes I'm like practicing being and receiving of everything totally. um, because I'm so grateful. And, and, you know, I think I've seen so many people through their challenges, especially in my practice and people start this work when they're in their sixties or seventies. Or so I'm so grateful to have gone through this journey really young as, as challenging as it was, because it sort of sets the tone for like, okay, a lifetime of understanding things differently. Totally. So for somebody listening who isn't as familiar with the conscious and subconscious mind, can you explain what they are? Yeah, absolutely. The, the best way I would explain is like sort of through the Freud iceberg diagram that's commonly been talked about. And it's just a nice picture of a quick analogy. So if you think of your conscious mind, your conscious mind would be like the tip of the iceberg that's above the water. And these are the things that we're consciously aware of. This takes up roughly three to 5% of our mental activity. And then we have our subconscious and unconscious, which are sort of the deeper parts of the subconscious mind. And the sub and unconscious takes up 95 to 97% and is responsible for our feelings, thoughts, actions, behaviors, like so many different components of who we are and who we identify ourselves to be. And this is where a lot of our limiting beliefs come in. This is where a lot of our personality needs and who we identify ourselves to be exist. 
And when we're not conscious of these things, one of the really big challenges we'll run into is that we can set a conscious intention or goal. But if our subconscious mind has a different set of motives, then we get into what we call self-sabotage, but there's no actual such thing as self-sabotage. It's all just a subconscious strategy to get different needs met because our subconscious mind ultimately runs the show. And research shows to us as well that we cannot outwill or overpower the subconscious mind. And so that was so personal to me when I learned that exact fact, because I was trying to outwill addiction. Like, I'm just going to stop. I just need to stop. Or this is another, like another really good example is if you see people set New Year's resolution and people Mm -hmm. be like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to whatever it is. And then, you know, day three, 88% of people fail their New Year's resolutions. And so it's because unless we are aware of the contents of our subconscious mind and we learn to link these things together, then there's friction. And then we experience a lot of self-defeat out of those things. Like, oh, I'm not good enough to stick to things. And, and we can start storytelling around our powerlessness, not because we are in fact powerless, but because we just don't have the right information to empower ourselves. And it ends up being a cycle. Like you don't even realize that it's these patterns that sort of keep replaying over and over in different scenarios, right? Absolutely. And you really like hit the nail on the head there because there are so many individuals that go through life and we don't realize it, but we're basically reliving out the same types of patterns and experiences just expressing themselves in different forms. And then these become our big triggers and pain points. And what we don't also recognize is because the subconscious is so geared towards familiarity and because it's processing up to a billion bits per second on average of data versus the conscious mind's 40 to 60 bits per second of data. What's happening is some of the things that were really painful for us. Let's say we take a client that I used to work with and she had her father cheat on her mother and it was a really painful um, experience for her in childhood. Well, she went on to go through a series of relationships where she was attracted to men who were cheating on her. And it's sort of this, you know, almost the experiences were following, like, you know, similar personality types, similar output, similar way she felt because of those experiences, the betrayal, the abandonment. And what she's asking is like, why do I keep choosing those men? And what's actually happening at a subconscious level is that the subconscious mind is attracted to familiarity because it associates that with survival and safety. And even though we can have these really painful experiences, if they imprint us, our subconscious mind goes, well, we survived. And so these are safe. So let's keep speaking out these things. And it's not until we have that awareness and we can really isolate and identify what those patterns are that we can then change the patterns and, and break these things down so we don't end up repeating these cycles. This is so true. And it is so freaking powerful. Like I just want to highlight it too, because it essentially, like it's not a bad thing, but it's ourself trying to keep us safe. And often we go into these situations that aren't necessarily good for us, but we think subconsciously it's safe. So it's actually just ourself loving ourselves and trying to keep us sort of in this container where we're going to be okay. Like it's all from a loving place. And I think that's really important to highlight. Like, it's not like it's trying to hurt us or harm us. And when you see it that way, you can accept it and sort of like dissolve that block too. A hundred percent. And, and you're saying something that's so important. And this was such a powerful part for me of learning and like overcoming addiction is one of the most important things anybody's going to do on their self-healing journey, as simple as it might sound is literally be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. Like wherever we have a place of judgment and shaming ourselves or criticizing ourselves, we have to shift that and adopt an attitude of inquiry and curiosity and like trying to understand that our ugly patterns, our painful patterns 
all of these things are actually just there because we didn't have a better strategy to keep ourselves safe at the time. And this is what we knew. And so when we can adopt that attitude and see ourselves through that lens of compassion and kindness, and then just trying to support ourselves to get to a better place, this is really a, a huge component of how healing happens. I love that. And it's so powerful because like the thing is someone could come into you and say, you know, I'm, I'm going through these relationship patterns, but you don't really see, but those patterns could actually play out in career, in finances. It's all fills over to every single aspect of your life. So when you go to the root of what your patterns or limiting beliefs or whatever you want to call them could be, it's like the spillover effect of doing this work is so freaking powerful and it can transform everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so one of the things that we do when we're trying to recognize these patterns, so useful if somebody's listening and is like, what do I do? Like, how do I find out what my patterns are? What you really want to do is you want to be able to feel the things that are really painful to you. Like notice, okay, what are the patterns in my life that are really challenging? And once you isolate those things, like maybe these key experiences you're having, the challenging relationship, the pain points in your career or with money or whatever it is, you want to ask yourself, okay, if I can isolate that, instant, like that, you know, the time I feel like I have no more money time. I feel like I am in the same relationship and I'm being cheated on whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Then you want to ask yourself, okay, what do I make this situation mean about me? Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is that the way that your subconscious stores that information is not so much through the experience itself, but through the internal meaning we give that acts as an imprint to our subconscious mind. And we store all of our emotion next to, and so you can ask yourself, okay, what do I make this mean about me? And what am I afraid of happening from this experience that I also give meaning to? So you might say, for example, okay, somebody's cheating in a relationship. I make that mean that I'm unworthy of love, that I'm not good enough, that I'm powerless, you know, I'm unloved as a whole. And then you can ask yourself, what what am I afraid of this if this happens again? Well, I'm afraid I'll be alone forever. And you want to find these pieces of meaning. And then those are the things that we really want to work to reprogram. And one of the best ways we can reprogram the subconscious mind is literally through isolating our patterns, which is like always step number one, making them conscious. And then bringing that into a space where we can create supporting evidence that opposes it because the mind is designed for homeostasis and equilibrium. And that's when we are self-healing. Our body is sort of governed under those same principles. And so we want to be able to say, okay, how am I good enough? How am I worthy of love? And we really want to find pieces of evidence. Evidence is basically memory and all memory contains emotion attached to it, emotional imprints and, and ideas. And the subconscious mind's language is not words. It's emotion and it's repetition and so and symbols and so when we can create ideas and concepts and see how we are good enough oh because of the time I showed up that way with my friend because of the time I did this in the workplace and we have actual pieces of proof that our memory it contains symbols it contains emotion and if we can do that repeatedly this is like the essence of how we reprogram these patterns in and of themselves you can stack those memories to sort of and then attach not attach but stack those memories to feel like to sort of change the emotion that you have towards whatever the experience is. Exactly. Very cool. So you said that you have like 13 different certifications out of all the certifications you have. I'm just curious, is there one that really stands out for you as like the biggest game changer that was like, this is amazing. Yeah, I would say, I mean, 
a couple, I would say a couple that I sort of use together that are really powerful. I love somatic experiencing. It really taps into like the body work of things. But I think that there's certain certifications that are sometimes missing an element. Like we have CBT, which I love. It's really about questioning your thoughts. It really resembles a lot of like Byron Katie's The Work. Mm -hmm. And it's about like being able to observe your mind and disidentify and question some of the patterns that exist. But then hypnosis for me was really about understanding the principles of the subconscious. And so a lot of the work that I've done has tried to bridge like the subconscious mind with like CBT and traditional Western methods, and then really tapping into the body work of somatic experiencing. So those three things together, I would say were like sort of the most powerful because you're really hitting at all specific points. Beautiful. Nice. It's like a powerhouse, a triad. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So another thing, you wrote a book, the attachment theory guide. So let's get into attachment theory because I hear so much about it, but I don't necessarily, I have never specifically dove into what it is. So I'd love for you to share what is attachment theory and if you can tell us a bit about it. Yes. Okay. So people love learning about this, I think, because it's really like sort of framework or or entry point into yourself in terms of your patterns of relationship. So attachment theory was developed by John Bowlby decades ago. And, and it was this idea that we have different ways as, a, as young children that we attach to our caregivers. And he characterized these things into four main categories. One is secure. And these are individuals that feel comfortable and have basically secure bonds to their caregivers. And then there are three insecure attachment styles. And these are called dismissive avoidance, fearful avoidance, and anxious preoccupied. Now, before I learned about attachment theory, I was learning about hypnosis and the subconscious and limiting beliefs and all these different things related to CBT. And what was so interesting for me is that I found when I learned about attachment theory that, oh, wow, these actual belief patterns, these needs that we have in relationships, these expectations we place onto people, the emotions we feel on a regular basis, because some people feel angry more easily and sad and frustrated. Some people feel irritated, agitated more often. We have different emotional outputs that are quite patterned into ourselves as human beings. All of these things, and even the ways in which we give and receive love, fit really neatly into different attachment styles. And so we created something called integrated attachment theory, which is basically the combination of core limiting beliefs, emotional patterns, needs, expectations, communication of love, sort of connected to attachment theory itself. And so what I'll do, if this is okay with you, I'll go through and just sort of give a breakdown of these things amongst the different attachment styles because people will really see themselves in Perfect. Yeah, I would love that. Let's do it. So our securely attached individuals, usually what they experience in childhood, and I like to compare like people having a different attachment style to basically people playing a board game and having a different set of rules because our attachment styles are like the rules through which we use to relate to somebody else. And if you have a different rule book during a board game, obviously there's going to be challenges and friction. And most people are subconsciously attracted to people who are of different attachment styles. So for securely attached individuals, they basically learn that when they cry or express emotion, it's seen, heard, validated, understood. They're like tended to. They also learn that when they express needs early on, that those needs are seen, heard, validated, tended to. So these individuals grow up to feel safe sharing themselves, safe expressing needs, safe having boundaries, comfortable communicating feelings, and they feel like they can trust people because naturally their early attachment relationships were based on healthy trust and being seen, heard, and understood. And as a natural byproduct of this, these individuals also grow up to feel a greater sense of self-esteem, self-confidence, because they're basically taught through emotional inference and their experiences that you are worthy of love. You are worthy of being seen, heard, understood. Now, there are not that many people who are securely attached nowadays. 
most people are of the three insecure attachment styles. We often see the secure individuals go in to have like healthy relationships, feel good about themselves, have lasting relationships, communicate clearly and effectively. Insecurely attachment styles sort of occur across a spectrum. But one end of the spectrum, we have our anxious preoccupied. And these are the individuals who usually really fear being alone or being abandoned. And they can sometimes appear in their adult romantic relationships as like clingy, as needy, these sorts of things. And this is because in early childhood, they usually had a lot of inconsistency in their parents. So they either had the imprinting of, you know, one parent being cold and one parent being warm. And that inconsistency, when we're all biologically wired for attunement and we need closeness and emotional attachment in our relationships, if there's a juxtaposition of that between somebody giving and somebody not, it triggers this biological coping mechanism for an individual that's like, I'm not safe. I don't know if somebody's going to leave me or abandon me or not. And so their core beliefs as this individual grows up because of the repeated exposure and thus subconscious programming to what relationships mean is I could be abandoned. I'm afraid of being alone. I am unsafe. They also have other core wounds like I am disliked. I am excluded. I do not belong. I am unloved or I am unworthy. And if any of these things are touched on in their interpersonal relationship, they actually experience a trauma response. So mm-hmm. like everybody's had the friend or everybody's known somebody who like, you know, their partner doesn't call back when they say they're going to call back. And this person, you know, calls back 10 times or 12 times. And it's really easy to write that off and be like, oh, this person's being needy or clingy and, and have a judgment. But actually that poor individual is experiencing a trauma response based on repeated exposure to something in their subconscious programming from childhood. Wow. So, yeah. So question for you quickly. So yeah. when these patterns between what ages, are they sort of solidified? Does it make mm-hmm. a difference? Like can a pattern come up from teenage years or... I love the question. So it's such a powerful question. So our early attachment style developed between the ages of zero to two. Yeah. And we're most suggestible or in other words, like most easily programmed between the ages of zero to three, but then like secondarily up until the ages of eight, because our brain is producing mostly alpha and theta brainwaves, which are actually the brainwaves we need to be hypnotized. So we're sort of like these sponges in our early experiences. However, the whole non-conscious mind, subconscious and unconscious is, is neuroplastic. So we can reprogram these things at any time through, you know, having the right tools, or we can get programmed from a secure to an insecure attachment style because of a painful relationship. So what I often see is that either somebody has, like if they have a really painful abandonment or experience zero to three, that's usually when people have a very strong version of their attachment style. So maybe they're very anxiously attached instead of a little bit, mm-hmm. but the older you get, if you were originally securely attached or you didn't have a lot of repeated exposure, if you then have a painful relationship, let's say in your teenage years or your twenties, thirties, forties, you know, you can turn anxious, but usually it's not as deeply rooted because you're not as suggestible when these things are taking place. Interesting. Okay. That's really fascinating. Thank you. It's so interesting to look back and even like I'm looking back and I'm, as I'm sure all of the audience listeners are sort of looking back at their life and thinking, what are those moments that we had that might've shifted things, right? And that's really important because it's bringing the awareness, like you said, awareness to what's happening. hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay. And so that's our anxious. Yeah. So that's our anxious. And then we have on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have our dismissive avoidant attachment style. And this is the person who in early childhood or in their upbringing, they had a lot of emotional neglect. And these individuals can sometimes like fly under the radar a little bit because sometimes they've got like, you know, their parents take care of their physical health and cook for them and clean for them and all these different things. But sometimes those individuals are, those caregivers are emotionally unavailable. And so a lot of dismissive avoidance 
um, because we have a biological fear of abandonment when we come into the world, if you're not receiving proper attunement, meaning like your caregiver sees you, feels you, hears you, validates you, comes towards you when you have something that, that is important to you, if you're not experiencing any of that or there's a lack of it, then it actually triggers that baby, that child's biological survival response. And they sort of get into a stage of fight or flight for a very long period of time. And then they feel like, wow, my emotions are constantly getting rejected or unheard. And so they learn to go really far into self-soothing and they learn to keep really strong boundaries against other people because their subconscious associations built into those experiences are much more negative than positive as they constantly feel rejected and unsafe. And these individuals in their adult lives go on to be the people that fear commitment that don't like to be vulnerable, that are really slow to like warm up and open themselves up, or the individuals who have core wounds that say vulnerability is unsafe, I'm unsafe around people, I can't trust people to really deeply connect with me, I feel like something's wrong with me, because as a little child, if you have a need and you're expressing that need to a certain degree and you're not receiving it, the child's mind is very narcissistic, it can't say, oh, my, my parents are emotionally unavailable people. It goes, oh, there must be something wrong with me that they are not able to connect with me. So these individuals also carry a lot of shame in their subconscious and a lot of fear of like really developing closeness and being rejected again. And so as a byproduct, they really need to self-soothe. They don't soothe through others. And something that's really interesting is that these dismissive avoidance and anxious preoccupied tend to attract each other in a relationship a lot. Mm. The reason for this is because it's also our zone of familiarity. Like the anxious, preoccupied individuals often dismissing themselves because they're so focused on other people and not being abandoned. And that creates a subconscious comfort zone to be attracted to the dismissive avoidant who's dismissing them and who is treating them very similarly to the way they treat the relationship inside of themselves. And so you'll see these individuals, yeah, like sort of back from there. Wow. That's so fascinating to look at it from this angle. I feel like my mind's just blowing listening to you explain all this. I'm just like, oh my gosh, so many relationships that you see in your life sort of like you can see it. They make sense. hundred percent, a hundred percent. And then our last one is we have our fearful avoidant and the fearful avoidant is sort of the most challenging attachment style to be people will say. And it's because they experience both ends of the attachment spectrum. They experience both the anxious side and the dismissive side. And they're also usually characterized by having a little more intense trauma during childhood. And so one of the big components of fearful avoidance is they learn to not trust and they can be very hypervigilant. So some examples of how this would take place would be maybe a caregiver is an addict. And so it's like, okay, is mom going to be sober or is she going to be drinking? You know, Or maybe there's a lot of volatility in the home, parents always fighting, a lot of yelling, a lot of violence, things like that. And so basically this child build in some positive associations to connection. And so sometimes they soothe through their parents, but they also can't trust that. So then sometimes they can become very dismissive and need to push people away because they have wounds around trust. And usually this individual, their attachment strategy, you know, the dismissive avoidant learns, I'm going to soothe on my own and push people away. That's my strategy to adapt. The anxious is like, I need to soothe through people and perfect myself and get really close to people in relationships and really focus there. And then I get some of my needs met. And the fearful avoidant learns, well, I don't know if people are like going to be nice or mean or in a good mood or a bad mood or sober or not sober. And so they learn to become very adept at noticing micro expressions, body language, tone of voice, reading between the lines. And they become very hypervigilant. And this is sort of like a blessing and a curse. It can be a beautiful thing because they get into a space or dynamic where they, you know, they notice everything and, and they can be really good 
at reading patterns and connecting to people as a result. But on the flip side, they can also give a lot of meaning to things and they can go, oh, you know, I saw the, the micro expression change and what does that mean? And a lot of these individuals carry really deep trust wounds along with the core wounds of I could be alone, abandoned, I am unsafe, I could be disliked or excluded of the anxious and the core wounds of something's wrong with me, I'm not enough, um, I am unsafe, these sorts of things that the dismissive avoidant also has as part of their core wound programming. So they're often shifting back and forth between their anxious side and their avoidant side. They're the people in your adult life who will go like, come here, get close to me. And then you come closer, like, nope, get away from me. And you get like that hot, cold partner. Wow. 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 Okay. So I have so many questions. I'm just like, my mind is blown by this whole model. I'm so glad we dove into it. But the first question is how do you figure out where you are? Is there a test that you do? Is there like yeah. something you do to figure it out? Yeah. So we created a test on our website. So it's at the personal development school and you can go to attachment test. Um, okay. And it gives you an output and a report of your different styles. So each one has like unique expectations and needs. Usually people, when they hear like some of the core wounds and the, the behavioral patterns and the ways they operate in relationships, usually people will go, oh my gosh, I can feel that that's me. And you'll be able to sort of resonate. But there is a test on our website if you're more curious and it gives you the breakdown. And usually a lot of people are not just like one part because it, it exists along a continuum. So you might be like, for example, Somebody could be fearful, avoidant, leaning anxious. Like they could have that avoidant side, but mostly identified. Some people are dismissive avoidant with a little bit of fearful avoidant tendencies. But a lot of fearful avoidance, they will really want like depth of connection because it makes them feel safe. They want a lot of transparency in their relationships. They need deep conversations and stimulation, um, but they can feel a little bit volatile in their emotions because that's the natural output of trauma. A lot of the anxious, preoccupied individuals want like a lot of closeness, not as much depth all the time, but just knowing that somebody's there all the time and like connecting regularly. And then a lot of the dismissive avoidance, you'll see like their needs for love are like, is it easy? Is it light? Is it non-committal? Is it simple? And so usually you'll see like just based on the core wounds, the needs, the behavioral patterns, people can tend to really identify what style they are through there. So I'm going to encourage all the listeners because like you could hear this and you probably listened to our conversation and at some point was like, oh my God, that's me. And it could almost feel a little bit like it's reassuring, but also a little bit scary being like, you know, cause it's going into that core place, that core wound, but I'm going to encourage you guys to go and take that test, go get the information you know, even if it feels a little bit uncomfortable thinking that this is where you may be, it's like, that's actually the first step towards transmuting it and changing it and shifting things. So it could be very powerful to know where you're at. Absolutely. And, and what I want people to know too, is I myself was a fearful avoidant and I've done all the work, you know, and I've helped seen, see people through probably like thousands of people at this point, like over 2000 people in our school, hundreds and hundreds of people I worked with one-on-one. Just remember if you're identifying with like a specific attachment style, this isn't like a disorder. It's not like, oh, you're pigeonholed into this thing for life. This is like, hey, these are a set of patterns that you learned in terms of how to relate that are programmed into your subconscious, but we are neuroplastic. Like we can change these patterns and the awareness of them is the first step to healing them. And then just using specific subconscious reprogramming tools and learning to express your needs, learning to have boundaries, learning really what your needs are, and then learning to reprogram those core wounds and then identifying some of the expectations and ways you give and receive love and relationships. If you can just understand those five components mm -hmm. and use some reprogramming tools, you can shift through this and change your attachment style in a matter of weeks to months. And this is a scary thing to realize you're not stuck here forever. And it's also too, going back to what we were talking about before, it's actually something that's trying to keep you safe. So it's not even a bad thing. Like really seeing that it's coming from a place of love at the core of it, 
you know, it's that much more inviting. It can give you the space to be that much more curious to go there. And uh, it really is a path that I encourage and I support 100%. And I just, I love this information because my mind is blown. I have never dove into attachment theory, but seeing it this way, I'm like, oh my gosh, so many of these pieces are making sense. <laughs> so what does someone do then? So they, they know they're, where they're at. What can they do to get to the other, not to the other side, but I guess get towards more secure? Absolutely. It's a perfect question. So one of the first things is like, you want to identify where you're at because we're always trying to get to equilibrium. We always want like balance homeostasis. This is when the mind and body are both self-healing. And so one of the first things is, okay, if I am anxious, preoccupied, I have to start learning to identify my needs. I have to start understanding what my needs are because chances are a lot of your needs revolve around like approval and other people and connection. So maybe you're really good at understanding your needs in interpersonal relationships and, and really mastering that but usually you're not really very good at self-soothing and being aware of your own needs as a human being, as an individual. And if you can't communicate those things in a relationship and know what those needs are, then you're going to have a hard time receiving. And then you're always going to feel like you're in this sort of fear of abandonment. So really big work for the anxious preoccupied is, am I aware of my needs? Can I start communicating my needs? And as a natural byproduct of that, Am I aware of my boundaries? My boundaries in all seven areas of life, career, financial, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, and relationships. And also my boundaries in terms of like the different types of boundaries we have, our time boundaries, our emotional boundaries, our thought or opinion boundaries, our physical boundaries, sexual boundaries, material boundaries. And so it's really like, are we diving into all of that and showing up for ourselves and learning to actually strengthen our self-identity instead of sort of bleeding into everybody around us because we're so afraid of abandonment that we keep going there to get that approval, to get that connection. But as a natural byproduct of that, we're always filling our cup externally first. Mm -hmm. And we'll always feel like we're running a little bit on empty without realizing because at a subconscious level, we don't have the resource to fill ourselves up and then receive and give to others. And so it kind of keeps those abandonment wounds alive. So we need to do that work first. Then we need to do the subconscious wound reprogramming. So really looking to equilibrate through memory and evidence. I'm not good enough. I'm disliked, excluded, abandoned, don't belong these sorts of things. And then the fearful avoidant really has to do a lot of work around trust and learning to trust and, and learning to question their stories and belief patterns around what it means to trust. And then they also want to work on all their core wounds, which is huge because a lot of fearful avoidance, they notice little patterns and shifts and patterns around people. And then because the subconscious mind is always trying to keep you so safe, it tends to project the subconscious unresolved pain points onto mm. its experiences. So for example, I'll give an example of a friend of mine. We were like getting lunch, this is years ago now, but it's just a really good example. And she's fearful avoidance or she was fearful avoidance and has since done the work. You know, this man opened a door for us as we were going into lunch. And, you know, she looked at me and she went, oh, disgusting. And it's like, she had such wounds around, oh, you know, I can't trust men and men just want to like sleep with you. And to the point where like, I could see very clearly this man just trying to be polite and she's just projecting these like worst case scenarios onto everything based on her unresolved trauma and painful experience yeah. she had. And so the mind doesn't like project nice things. It always looks for the worst case scenarios. And so when we reprogram those core wounds, we're yeah. able to stop seeing things through this like, you know, perceptual lens of our past experiences and, and more able to see them as they clearly are now. And that's a really important point for the fearful of wanting to be able to rebuild trust, do the work on those core wounds. And then fearful avoidance as well, they often love through like enmeshment. They learn that like, well, if mom's an addict or there's violence in the home, I have to keep everybody like safe. I have to, and fearful avoidance often have to grow up really fast. And mm -hmm. so they will 
really take account for other people and try to fix and save people, um, but often at the expense of the relationship to themselves. And so they really need to learn to have boundaries and strengthen their self-identity as well. And then dismissive avoidance, part of them becoming more secure is learning to be vulnerable, practicing like exposure work by opening up, trying to share themselves, express their feelings, get back in touch with their feelings because they're often repressed, and then learn to actually ask for needs from others because they usually think, well, nobody's meeting my needs. I'm not having anybody do that. So why should I meet anybody else's? And part of their work is to open up and rebalance that. Wow. This is all so, so powerful. So if anybody wants to dive in, can you tell us more about the personal development school? Is there a class, a program for anybody who's like, just wants to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So we have over 30 courses in there and we have like intro attachment style courses, advanced attachment style courses for how your attachment style actually exhibits itself in each of the six stages of a relationship. So like dating phase, honeymoon phase, power struggle phase, stability, commitment, and bliss phase, and like really how to navigate those things. Then we go into, um, we have courses on rebuilding trust, how to become secure in a relationship itself. We have courses on boundaries, on mindset mastery and life mapping, on conflict resolution, communication, like literally lots of things that you need just as a human being to navigate your life and relationships. And then I'm in there with people four times a week. I do live webinars. So we have over a hundred previously recorded webinars on like everything from narcissistic abuse to um, like repairing the ways that you communicate to others in relationships, like every topic sort of under the sun, mindset mastery with money, all sorts of things that cover all the seven areas of your life. And then I do four ongoing live webinars a week in there. So there's like a lot of support. Our community is literally like the most beautiful human beings. Everybody's so supportive of each other. It's like a miracle. And yeah, everybody's helping each other out and has a place to chat and ask questions with each other and connect. And then everybody jumps in there on the webinars as well. Wow. Well, I encourage you guys all to go check it out. I'll definitely link it in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I just want to say thank you so much for having me here and for all the amazing questions and for really guiding, you know, I can tell you've done so much work and your questions (laughs) are so insightful. And Uh, so thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Honestly, I feel like I just can't wait just to go learn more about this attachment theory. My mind is blown. So thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Wasn't it amazing? All of it completely, completely blew my mind. So on this note, now that you've listened, if you haven't already, go do that personal attachment style quiz in the show notes on the personal development school. And then once you know your style, you guys get an exclusive 25% off any of the courses on the personal development school. So use the promo code Samantha25 and dive in deeper to what your attachment style is. You guys, by doing this powerful inner work, it has the capability of changing your entire life. It's just a matter of you taking the personal responsibility, looking in the mirror and telling yourself that you are worth it, that you deserve to overcome some of the limiting patterns that might be holding you back. I'm super excited because next week we have another empowering episode for you. So make sure you go subscribe to stay tuned for next week. And if you're new to the channel, we've got a slew of different topics. We've got almost 50 episodes uploaded. So go listen to some of the old episodes in the meantime and be mindful of the content that you're consuming. So on that note, we'll see you next week. And until then, keep being you, be beautiful.